Well, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Encouraging Others Through Christ podcast. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft, and I'm introducing a new series of conversations in this podcast called EOTC Mystery School. (laughs) Doesn't that sound ominous? What is a mystery school? Well, first thing I want to do is I want to read to you the description that I put on the club that I created on Clubhouse, which is where I facilitate these conversations. It says here, this mystery school is devoted and dedicated to the advancement of love, service, cooperation, and understanding in relation to all people of various faith and spiritual backgrounds. The purpose is not that we will always agree with each other's beliefs, but instead we seek a non-judgmental approach to understanding and appreciating why people believe what they believe. The goal is to share and exchange insights and experiences from our own spiritual journeys to broaden our own perceptions of our own faith and spirituality. That is what the EOTC Mystery School is all about. If you want to, at the very end of this podcast, it'll tell you how you can participate live in the audience if you'd like to in future sessions of this club, and that'll be all mentioned at the very end. But I do want to just say here is that I absolutely feel called to create an environment where conversations from individuals who are deeply devoted to their connection with God, or some of the folks that I interact with don't use that language. Most of them do, but many of them will say uh, that are devoted to their connection to source or to the universe or to a number of other different ways that they say it. But it is a deeply spiritual community of people that make up this world that we live in. In fact, I believe we we are all divine spiritual beings having a human experience. And not all of them will use terms of religion or faith. Some may not even use spirituality. But uh, to have an opportunity for people to express openly what their experience of a spiritual slash faith journey is, and to do that in a way where everybody's got an open mind and an open heart to hear what other people's experiences are without judgment. I, I, I just, there are very few places I think you can turn to get those kind of conversations. And to give you an example of what I'm talking about, you're about ready to listen to a conversation I recorded today on Saturday, July 9th, 2022, with my dear friends Darshpreet, Bethany, and Michael. Without any further ado, here is the conversation that I hope will broaden your own perspective on your own spiritual journey. The way that I'd love to do our introductions today is I would love for you to first introduce yourself by name, where you're from, and feel free to take a few moments to give some, maybe one of the grossest oversimplified descriptions of how you came to where you are on your spiritual journey today. So that's that's a big task. How about that, Michael? 
<laughs> okay, uh, not too much then. Uh, very prescient, and I better not make any jokes if it's if it's got to be uh, very condensed. So oh, um, you can hi, make, you um, can make uh, as many jokes as you want. Uh, uh, yeah, well, I probably better not actually. But so there you go. Anyway, um, gosh, okay. So here I am. I'm I'm Michael. Michael Sebastian. I'm from uh, the west of England, and I. Uh, moved up there. I was born on the south coast of England, but moved up to the west uh, country, which is a you know it's kind of fairly steeped in various aspects of spirituality. And I, I do believe I was actually planted there. I, I believe it's been a kind of homecoming or a reason to to come. Uh, there's been a reason to come back to that. So um, um, I've been in England for most of my life. Travelled a little bit, but um, I've been in, mostly in England. And um, uh, what can I say? Uh, yeah, my spiritual journey uh, was. I was brought up a a Baptist boy, uh, which was not a particularly great start in in many ways. Um, I uh, came in and out of Christianity. I was in a very fundamentalist kind of setup in my 20s, early 20s, which I I left. Um, I was able to observe quite a lot of stuff. They they moved quite closely towards the, um, what you might call uh, the, the Southern Baptist American televangelist kind of style of spirituality in inverted commas with a, a small s but um that that's what they did it gave me a lot of chance to observe a lot of those kind of people doing those kind of things and i've observed that's what i, I do i'm a spiritual observer i've done that for most of my life and um, since leaving that because i i began to see you know some stuff that wasn't uh, too palatable frankly in that uh, area i moved through you know i looked at uh, all the things after i got out of church i looked at everything everything i wasn't allowed to look at when i was in church and yeah so i learned astrology wanted to know how to run a chart um looked at wicca looked at satanism looked at shaver tantra uh, aspects of shaver tantra is fascinating i don't know that much but i love the tenets of the philosophy and um yeah from there i studied with a a guru from gujarat for a while learned meditation and things like that that brought me through to neo-druidry. Um, I'm actually involved with druids and on the druidic path in England. So that, that's a very, very quick uh, overview of uh, the past 50 years wrapped up in a minute and a half. <laughs> that's me. Well, that was brilliant. And it was exactly what I had envisioned as far as the introduction. And what I heard was all of the different influences and observances. What I think is valuable about that is that it allows me to then come back in a little bit and anyone else in this room to come back in a little bit and ask you questions related to some of those experiences. But real quickly, Michael, I got astrology, I got witchcraft, I got Satanism, and and then I got the Druid. But uh, there were like one or at least one or two other things that you said there. And one of them I had never heard of before. Forgive me if Dash Breet might know if I'm mispronouncing this. Shaver Tantra, which is not Neo Tantra. Neo Tantra is the distinct stuff, the more sexual stuff um, that comes out of it. It's from a tantric approach, uh, which is is much much older, not hugely old, but quite a lot older. So I looked at that, and I, I like the as- aspects of the philosophy. As it's it's kind of dualistic philosophy, as I understand it. And as I say, I don't know much. It kind of uh, uh, you find a spirituality in material, the material realm, as well as in the kind of spiritual, in the mundane, as well as the the spiritual realm, basically. And that's what attracted me to it. It seemed to be quite real world. 
I'm interested in Neo-Tantra, but that's not actually what Shaiva Tantra is at all. So, uh, yeah, there you go. All right. And then you mentioned a guru. What was the name of the guru? Uh, the, the name of the guru is um, Sri Shikrapan and Swami, also called Baba Swami, I think, or Swamiji. He's from Gujarat. I thought a guru from Gujarat is um, is such good good alliteration that I've got to choose this guy, obviously, you know, it uh, just works, doesn't it? Saying I've, I've got a guru from Gujarat. I met him about five years ago in Cardiff and spent a couple of days with him, observed him and listened to him and listened to what he was teaching. And he struck me actually as one of the more savvy spiritual people that I've been close to. I'm not into spiritual personalities or following a guru because they're a guru but sitting with him and sitting with his energy and you know listening to what he was saying as best i could because he was speaking in, in gujarati i guess i learned how to meditate or i met learned his way of meditating or the, the, the way he was teaching through that and i've kind of built on that i, I do it my own way but it's uh, it, it was a good help along the path let's say and um, yeah i should be seeing him again next year he's coming back to the uk next year i think and so i'll uh, hang out with him but uh, my sister is involved with his um, work in in wales you used a phrase or an adjective for the type of druidry did you say neo-druidry yes neo-druidry is what you would apply when you're describing druid druidry has had sort of several different phases got the ancient stuff the stonehenge stuff and beyond that back to shamanic roots it was rebooted in the 1970s around about 1968 69 with the kind of the California hippie movement. A lot of it came back in. It, it's basically it's an earth-based philosophy, a nature philosophy, which teaches the divinity of all beings, uh, that we're all part of nature, we're inter interdependent, and nobody's looking after it. No one's looking after nature. Nature can look after itself, thanks. You know, but what we need to do is get with the program. And, um, you know, nature, as far as nature is concerned, it's kind of my way or the highway, really. And um, at the moment, we're not playing that game. We're trying to do it our way and it's never going to work. It's lost leader. So, um, yeah. Um, so neo-druidry is kind of the, um, the name for this newest phase of, um, druidry, you know, so rebooted, pulling a lot of different philosophies, a lot of different things that we know and plenty of things that we don't really know much about with druidry into druidry now. So there you go. I think I've had more than my one and a half minutes now, Cliff. Oh, oh no, that was, it was, it's beautiful. <laughs> and it, I, I really genuinely believe it sets a great, foundation and and so thank you so much all right Thanks. bethany over to you okay um, my name is bethany dixon and i am in nashville tennessee in the u.s it is such a pleasure to to be here and to share space with each of you and to hear more about each of your stories for me i feel like i've lived a life where i just was really just going on doing what i was supposed to be doing what everyone in my life had told me, this is what you're supposed to do. And as a child, I remember thinking like, is this, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is, is this what there, all there is? And just really trying to understand. And I was raised in a Baptist home, but it wasn't oppressive in, in any way. It was, it was very loving. And I was raised with the, the, a very loving God. So as I went further in my life and I got married and I had a child and then then my life just seemed to fall apart. It was an unhealthy marriage. I became a single mom with a, 
a one and a half year old. <laughs> and I was really struggling. I was really struggling for a long time with why, why did my world fall apart in this way? Why were my expectations of what my life was supposed to be so unfulfilled in this way? I had a, a best friend who told me, Bethany, you've got to check out this psychic medium. <laughs> I was like, okay, sure. I'm open. I'm open to it. I love to try new things. So I went and had this reading with this person and it was, it was very cathartic for me. I was able to work through so many of my emotions in a way that I had not before that point. I did a lot of talking <laughs> in retrospect and during that time. But what was so pivotal coming out of that is that she, this medium recommended to me two books, A Journey of Souls by Dr. Michael Newton and Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. And those books changed my life. It really opened me up to new possibilities that I really had not considered. And, and A Journey of Souls, it's Dr. Michael Newton's book about past life regressions. And then it goes into lives between lives. And I was just very open and listening because I was listening to the audiobook of it. I remember driving, <laughs> listening to it. And then I heard them talking about this is what the soul is doing between lives. And it just felt like something clicked inside me or like a bell just resonated through my body. I was like, oh, this is what is truth to me. Just recognizing, I was like, oh, yes, this makes so much sense. And then I spent time in, I remember being in church and thinking about a journey of souls and thinking about what the soul does. And it just expanded my view so much of the world and helping me to understand, oh, okay, Christianity is an aspect of this experience. And then I started learning about other religions, other modalities, and seeing, oh, okay, this is how this ties in. And it's like we're, we're the world, and each of the each of the religions is, has a place in the world, but it all fits into the world. It's part of the world. And the religion within itself, it is not the whole world. So it just really expanded my view on it. And then with Eckhart Tolle's book, I, it helped me to understand how to sit with myself. And it's funny, I was talking to Cliff yesterday and I told him that I had, was having trouble sitting with myself yesterday. But I now know, okay, this is what meditation means. I can do it. And I had no idea about what was meditation. What did that even mean? And it, that first introduction to that book, it allowed me to start really grounding myself in a way that I'd never been grounded into this world. And it allowed me to really shift into positivity, to be into being grateful for the experiences that I'd had. And now I know that my life, that I went through this pain, I went through this hardships, but it served me in a way because it also allowed me to really wake up and not just be really stuck in the expectations of what everyone else thinks I'm supposed to do. Then in the last uh, two years, I've had even more experiences of waking up again. I felt like I kind of went back to sleep a little bit. I really got sucked back into the world of my job and just being so, so busy. Then 
so busy with my daughter, you know, she was doing all these activities and it was just always go, 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 go. So then when, of course, the pandemic comes along, at that point, everything stopped and it really created space to be able to go inward, to reevaluate without so many distractions from the world. And that's when, of course, there was so much more awakening happened. And I feel like there's been a lot of acceleration with this journey. And I've met so many amazing people, including, including each of you. It's been a true blessing to be able to have Clubhouse as an option. I've never used social media in this way. It's always been something I've been a bit on the fringe of, but this has been the place where I've met so many people from around the world having these experiences that were not available to me in the same way where I lived. And so now I'm, I feel very blessed. I feel like I flow with life and I know that I'm still learning and I'm receiving and I'm very excited for where this journey will continue to take me. Thank you, Bethany, for sharing all of that. And then Darshpreet, same question to you. That was very moving, Bethany. Michael loved the diversity there. I'm kind of the least qualified guy over here, but it's been interesting as to how my journey has been. So I came from a very small city in Punjab in India and was born and brought up in that city, studied there, never moved out and one fine day, I moved out of that city for a job uh, into the capital of India. And while working there, it was a big cultural shock for me because the life in that city was entirely different. It's, the Delhi being the capital of India was too big for me. And I was kind of feeling a little lost and I started looking for people from my community. And when I looked for them, because I was too excited to meet people from my own community that I never really paid attention to what's really happening to me at a grander scale. So they were a lot more religious, or I would say myopically religious or and not as spiritual as they thought they were because I was a part of that group and now I can make out the difference. That picking up those aspects of spirituality that was that were too easy to follow and then calling yourself spiritual and following a specific religious path. It was too easy at that time. The things were that you got to dress up in a certain way. You got to eat in a certain way. Everything was external. How do you talk? How do you, what time do you wake up and all of that stuff? Most of it was external rather than internal, a specific way of meditation, even if it didn't really sit well with me. But I was just in that mindless flow and I wasn't really listening to myself because it was too difficult for me. I was too young. I was I was in a new city altogether. It was too difficult for me to go against the wave, go against the tide that I had chosen for myself. I lived that life for three to four years. And naturally, I started feeling a little suffocated. And that was not really for me. This not really making sense to me. It's not very fulfilling. I was feeling a lot more fulfilled after having a deep conversation with a friend than meditating in a specific way that was being told to me, which was surprising to me. So I started, I couldn't really ignore these subtle clues that I was receiving. And I eventually started going away from that group, going away from how they were practicing spirituality. And 
eventually I changed my city. I moved from Delhi to Bangalore and was was there for five years. And that's when majority of the transformation actually happened. That was the time when I was all by myself, but around me, new city, no new, just me by myself. And that gave me a chance. I haven't read as many books as you have, Cliff, I'm sure about that, and Bethany and Michael. So I've not really had any guru specifically other than Guru Granth Sahib Ji, where we don't have a preachings of religion over there, but how do you really live life? How do you essentially beat the vices that we have in life, like attachment and lust and ego and greed? That sit really very well with me, which I was too far away from when I was a part of the group that really believed that they were following this, but they were not actually. Like being open to somebody was a struggle or a conscious choice that I had to make when I was a part of the group rather than it being a natural reaction that I should have had as a human being itself, which which came about when I moved to Bangalore just by myself. So I started learning about these things only from Guru Granth Sahib Ji. And when I was learning the way of life, because I had a lot of time to just sit by myself and run things in my mind and understand and truly feel being as truthful as I can to myself, I could feel and understand that what it really means to be a human before being spiritual, because that's further deeper into ourselves. And we are so conditioned by the world that we live in that we got to first take the layers off of ourselves and become human first and then go deeper from there as to at a spiritual level and when i started working on my identity started rebuilding it from what it was as a social construct is when i was able to decide as to who i want to be as a person and that acted as a fertilizer for me to get more and more spiritual and the insights that I was able to have were amazing that being able to connect and not just the insights, but how I was being blessed, it changed the amount of coincidences, which are not coincidences, but uh, the way of life opened up channels in a way that I was just being overflown with the blessings and the coincidences and the people showing up in my time in my life at the right time when I needed them, even if I wasn't wasn't really aware that I'm looking for that kind of a person in that moment of my life. It just started happening so frequently that I wasn't even surprised anymore. It was that frequent in my life. And it's a nonstop journey I've since then. And I am on a trajectory which is uphill. And I don't really feel that the journey is it's a uphill journey, but I feel very supported. I feel pushed. I feel pulled. I don't really have to make as many efforts as I would see other people making for whatever I end up receiving in life. And and I can very confidently say it was not, it's not because of what I consciously do, but how I was consciously able to rebuild that identity that opened the doors of me being able to connect to that spiritual realm much more deeply than I would have if I didn't really move the cities. So it's just my personal connection with that universe that I believe opened myself to the abundance that's out there. And this room, again, I wouldn't really believe is coincidence because since I met Cliff, I wouldn't, I, I don't really believe Cliff would approach anybody in the world if they don't deserve Cliff. So 
I believe that I deserve Cliff and now we talk and I'm re I feel really blessed. And that's just one of the examples right in front of us over there. And now I'm connected with Michael and Bethany. And what is this if this is not the blessings because I ended up getting opened to the spiritual world? And that was just because I was able to sit with myself, just pull the layers off of myself that were just covering me for and just made me into who I was not, actually. I love that. I love everything you said except for the very first words out of your mouth. I'm the least, ex- have the least experienced offer or, or whatever you said at the very least qualified. And I'm like, baloney. <laughs> yeah, I didn't buy that for a moment, actually. But uh, there you go. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> so, Darsh, can, can, do you mind if I ask you just a few clarifying questions just for yes. my own curiosity? No, um, no problem. Yes, please. So you said you, you lived most of your life before you moved to your first big job in New Delhi. Yeah. Uh, you lived in this small city, and, yeah. and, and so this was your community. What was the faith slash spiritual practice of that season of your life? Was your family very much in a religious slash spiritual phase? And, and what, because I know today, you identify as a Sikh, or at least I, that's my, le- my, yes. my most recent understanding anyway. Was Sikhism a part of your life before the move to New Delhi and your family's lives, or was it, it more broad than that? It, it has always been Sikhism. The thing about Sikhism, or I think not just about Sikhism, but most of the things that we indulge in is that we just end up satisfying ourselves at the top level, and we don't really scratch deeper into what it really is means so for instance like if we read a book that's very spiritual at one stage in our life it would mean something else but if we read it 10 years down the line it's going to have a different meaning altogether so we just we never scratched the surface of what Sikhism really meant and what it is and that's that's why I said that we were following what was a lot easier to follow, which was dressing up in a specific sense, eating in a specific way, meeting specific people, and just being closed enough. Rather than getting deeper into the meanings of what the preachings were, which I was able to do when I was by myself. So prior to that, it was just doing stuff and not really living it, if, if that makes sense. So for instance, if you have to read or chant a specific mantra, you're just reading it without really understanding what it really means and without feeling it and living your life as per that. So for instance, if you ask me, I'm thirsty, what should I do? And I write it on a piece of paper, drink water, and I give that piece of paper to you. And in, when you're thirsty, you're reading that piece of paper, which is drink water, which is an instruction, but you're not drinking water. Your thirst is not going to get quenched because you're just reading it. You're not following what it says. So it has always been just reading and not really following or understanding how one should act in life. Nobody was really acting, but everybody was just reading. <laughs> that was, that, and that happens for 99% of the people that I've observed. We just read instead of, uh, I think if we just read one sentence and we live an entire year by that one sentence instead of reading thousands of sentences every single day. Yes. That's way better way of living life than just reading thousand sentences every single day and not really imbibing even one of them in life. And that's what changed for me. Instead of reading hundreds of sentences every single day, I ended up living 
a life based on one sentence itself. And that changed everything for me. And what is the one sentence that has been your focus? So that one sentence was explore yourself. Thank you. Yeah. I love that. So I, I, w- I would love to ask you some things because one of the things, ever since I've met you, Darshpri, you're the second Sikh I've ever had a relationship with. And my very first one was Dr. Saram Khalsa from California, a holistic doctor. And I, in most of our conversations at the time, was devoted only to the technical aspects of podcasting uh, for which he hired me. And at the time, I was a very closed-minded fundamentalist Christian myself. And so I didn't want to be influenced by any conversation that he might want to share with me. So, uh, But now I have this open mind and, and I have this relationship that I'm blessed to have and I'm thrilled that I'm deserving of you as well. So can I ask you some questions about Sikhism to confirm the studies that I've done so far? Yes, please. So, here's a couple bullet points. Sikhism stresses the importance of doing good actions rather than merely carrying out rituals. Is that an accurate statement? Yes. All right. Sikhism was founded by Guru Nanak. How do I say Nanak? Nanak. N-A-N-A-K. Nanak. Nanak. Yes. So, it was founded by Guru Nanak. Uh, in the 16th century in the Punjab district of what is now India and Pakistan. Yes. And where, how far are you from Punjab as far as any experiences of your living? I was born and brought up in Punjab. Okay, so you were born and brought up where Sikhism started. Yes. Got it. Okay. Uh, based on his teachings and the nine Sikh guru, or yeah, the nine Sikh gurus that followed him is what Sikhism is. And there is a holy text. It is the Guru Granath Sahib. Yeah. Did That's I say what I was that correct? That's what I was referring to. Guru Granth, guru Granth Sahib Ji. Gu- yeah. Okay. So Guru Granth Sahib Ji. And yeah. it is a book that Sikhs believe to be a living guru. Yeah. All right. It, which would be very close to what some people would say is that the Bible they consider to be the living word of God. Yeah. All right. So Sikhs believe that the way to live a good life is to keep God in their heart and mind at all times. Yes. Yeah. All right. Live honestly and work hard. Yeah. Treat everyone equally. Yeah. Be generous to the less fortunate. Yes. And to be of service to others. Yes. All right. And here's what I have are the main Sikh beliefs that there is only one God. Yeah. God is without form or gender. Yes. Everyone has direct access to God. Yes. A good life is lived as part of a community by living honestly and caring for others. Yes. And empty religious rituals and superstitions have no value. Yes. Awesome. You've confirmed my studies so far. Thank you. It was, I, I, honestly, Cliff, if you ask me how many people who believe they are Sikhs know about this, <laughs> I would say probably one or two out of ten. So that's that's what I'm saying. Nobody really understands the essence of how one should live. Rather, we, we just read. So when you say generous and consider everybody equal, a lot of people read that on daily basis, but I don't know how many times do they really live their life based on that. So, and if they're not living their life 
how are they able to feel connected is my question. So that was very superficial when I was in Delhi, when I was in the first three to four years of my life when I was there. I had that urge of being in my comfort zone, being in the same community, but it opened up a lot of doors for me. So, yeah. Yeah, and and I had the same issues in my Christian upbringing as well. I had the issue of reading the Bible several times. I studied it almost my entire life. And love others as you love yourself is the second greatest commandment, right right there. And it's equal in importance to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And right. so, so I'm like, I, well, I'm not seeing that lived out. And, and it says that all the, basically those two commandments is that everything that the prophets and the law has ever pointed to is those two things. And I'm exactly. like, wow. And then don't judge anyone lest you be judged. And I'm like, yep. okay, so forget about memorizing and studying anything that the Bible says about homosexuality and all this other stuff. Focus on these two scriptures for a little while, and let's live that out, and then maybe we can have some opinions about all these other things. Exactly. So I'm going to open this up. I want to go to Michael first. And Michael, I'd love for you, do you have any questions about Sikhism? Have you been confronted uh, with anybody who is a Sikh in the past? And have you... Confronted by a Sikh? Well, that, um, yeah. That was a... Have you been in related... Have you been confronted with their belief systems is actually um, the more accurate way I meant to say it. Yeah. It, interesting. The answer is I've only known one personally uh, who was... Um, uh, I, I can't remember exactly where he came from, but um, not too dissimilar, I would have thought, to Adash Preet. I don't know anything, or I've read very loosely around the whole area of Sikhism. I imagine there's almost nothing in there that I would disagree with. It seems very sensible, you know, their approach to equality, diversity, you know, sort of all that kind of stuff. And a service to humanity, you know, tolerance, things like that seems to be a part of it. And their approach to animals as well, which um, I would probably, uh, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, I, I would uh, agree with. And there would be many similarities between that philosophy and the Druidic path as well, the, the Sikh path and the, the Druidic path. Um, most things that are going somewhere have significant similarities. But I've never actually had the um, benefit and the honour of actually sitting down for any prolonged period of time with anybody and learning. I'd love to. It's something I'd love to do where I would shoehorn it in over the next sort of 20 years or so. I, I have absolutely no idea. But um, at some point, I, I will definitely look closer um, because it, there are a number of things that I've heard that, that appeal. And I, as I say, I don't think I'd have a problem with. I am interested in what Dashpreet said about uh, taking one line, one thought, one verse, one concept, whatever it is, and working with that until that becomes embedded. I think that's a very savvy, sensible way of working with anything in the spiritual realm, wherever you come from, whatever your beliefs are, you know, and um, and progressing as a human being, I would say, because you've got what I think it said in the, I'm trying to remember exactly where, it could have been Proverbs or Ecclesiastes in the Bible, you know, I think it talks about learning line on line and precept upon precept, uh, which is basically the same kind of thing. I, the understanding is, I think, you know, you, you put one thing in, then you put another thing in when you got that thing sorted and, and so on and so forth. So um, then you have constant steps, you know, one 
one at a time. You put something in, you get that embedded, you get your head around it, get your soul and heart and soul around it, and then you move on to the next thing. And um, that that is really the antithesis of the society that we live in, isn't it? You know, where, you know, we, we're served up with so much information all of the time. You know, the, the amount of stuff we read in a day is greater than the amount of stuff that some people, you know, back in Victorian times, for instance, would have read in an entire lifetime. I remember reading um, that uh, one copy of the New York Times contains more factual information than most people would pick up in a lifetime and a half back in the 1850s. So, you know, it's a huge amount of stuff. And this idea of, of taking slow steps and just taking one thing and working with one thing, it's swimming against the flow, isn't it, uh, with, with the way society is. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's very savvy. And I, I don't think you're a uh, any kind of beginner at all there, uh, Dashbreed. I think that's uh, definitely the way to go. So, um, yeah, keep stepping. I love that. And I also want to point out that Ruth, who is also a part of our group, she's the third Seek I've ever had the blessing to have a relationship with as well. And I got to tell you, there's the three, oh, so far it's 100% of every Seek I've ever met. It's just what a genuine authenticity and love and experience, and not just of myself, but when I witness the way that they are show up and serve others. It's that lifestyle. It's, it's the living out of the genuine articles of that faith. The, it's the application of the deeper word, as as Michael is pointing out, that he appreciates that Darshpreet has so genuinely lived out in his life. It, it's the application of the deeper truths within one's faith that creates the lifestyle of 1 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16, I think it is, where it says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. But when you do so, do so with gentleness and respect. What's interesting, the reason why I went and looked up Sikhism, what does Sikhism believe? What do they teach? How was it founded? Who was who who started this thing? What what is their holy text if they have one? And what got me to look into that wasn't my interest in another world religion. It was what is it that has created three human beings who follow this faith that live a life that I would like to mimic? Bethany, I know that you've interacted in rooms with Ruth. First of all, how how much before our first meeting that we had did you know about Ruth's background as a Sikh? And have you been in relationship with other Sikhs? And what's your experience been? I would say in terms of understanding Sikhism at even the barest level, Ruth is really my the extent of that experience. I think I've interacted with other other Sikhs, but they're, but just in a, the most superficial way of, you know, (laughs) kind of like ships passing in the night. It's not, it's not something that I have delved into, although I have been, I'm interested to know more. And it really goes back to that. I believe that there is a grain of truth that will help me to understand the world and myself better when I understand more about different religions and different belief systems. And so I am interested in knowing more, but my exposure has been uh, very limited. Dershpreet, if I wanted to get a copy of Guru Granth Sahib, could you personally recommend an English translation for me? Um, So because you're aware about this, that we consider Guru Granth Sahib as a living guru. So the way we 
you would respect a living guru is how the book is respected. So you have the book in the temples. People have the book in the home as well, but the way they manage it is the way you would manage then with utmost respect, like having a different room altogether. And the book is there, the book, you open the book in the morning as somebody who's living would really wake up from the bed. And then you would make the book sleep the way a person would sleep in the end, in the, at the end of the day. So the teachings over there are basically the life teachings that the 10 gurus have shared throughout their lifetime. So it was not their bodies that we were considering as gurus, but the way of life and what they taught was what made them gurus for us. And uh, whatever they've shared and whatever they've said and the way of life is now recorded in the book. So because it was the, those words, that philosophy, that way of life, and now instead of in a human body, it is in a book on a paper, written on a piece of a paper, we consider this piece, of the collective pieces of paper as the living guru. So the way you would respect the guru is how it is respected. But I can definitely find out an English translation or an English version of a digital version I'll I'll find it out and I'll send it out to you. Well, I, and I appreciate that, and I, and I appreciate you you sharing the the way that that's respected. And and of course, I don't want to do anything that's disrespectful. Right? No, no, no. No, I know. I'm 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 sure. I'm sure about that. But I was just like sharing with you that the physical copy yep. is a different matter. So that's why I said a digital copy. I'll just share a digital copy with you. Yeah, and and I would personally, I would prefer a digital copy that I could read yeah. and highlight and, and yeah and stuff like that inside of my Kindle anyway. But yeah, if 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 that's something that's available, it's something that I would love to read to hear what those teachings are, and you know, and and not so that I can memorize all of it, but to see if there's one sentence that that resonates with me that I can begin to apply as well. Yeah, sure. No, I'll find it out. I'll find it out and send it to you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Excellent. Um, Cliff, I, I just had um, one quick sort of question I, I'd like to shoehorn in. Is, is that okay? Yeah, Can we do that absolutely. before we move on? Is that all right? No, I just want to come back um, on something um, that Bethany said that uh, I, I was uh, sort of listening to. Yeah, I, I, I know that name. Um, uh, you mentioned, ben, Bethany, you mentioned Michael Newton's book, um, Journey of Souls, uh, the reincarnation, the multiple lives idea, you know, the lives mm -hmm. between lives um, idea, which uh, I, I've read the book. I read the book a, a few years ago, and uh, it's kind of interesting. His his daughter actually lives not too far away from here, about 20, 30 miles away um, in Bristol, I believe, or she used to, she may, may not now. Uh, I've never met her, but uh, she's she's around the place. So um, and I, I kind of got interested in it. And um, it is an interesting narrative. I mean, you know, I, how far I would go with it. It's obviously completely unprovable in one sense. I know he uses hypnotherapy and stuff, doesn't he, to and hypnosis to get people under. And they go into a lot of different uh, accounts of what happened. Um, and I I'm, you know, I have my own, own thoughts. I, I do buy into the uh, the idea, and I think even if it doesn't exist in the way that we understand it, it's a, it's a great narrative, and it will actually help you to live your life in a different way because you'll be living your life as if your life counts. I I think it's it's fabulously um, interesting. I just wonder, Darshpreet, where Sikhs were on the uh, the whole. I guess there's an element of reincarnation that you espouse. I don't know. I I couldn't tell you where Sikhs are on multiple lives and things like that. Did you work to that philosophy? Yeah, yeah. We we do believe in reincarnation. 
And is, is that um, you, you come back as the same person, a different person, same soul, a different soul? Do you, uh, um, do you choose? Do you, you know, do you, is, you know, what part does karma play in that? All that, that kind of stuff. How, how does it work for a Sikh? So the belief is that the karma plays a role, definitely. So how you live your entire life uh, puts you in a specific, your, your soul in a specific position or a vibration, if I may say, and the next lifetime that you start from is the same vibration that you start from. So it's not that you start all over. It's whatever you've accumulated throughout this lifetime is as a karma, as a vibration, it gets passed on to the next lifetime. And then you started from that level. It's an ascendancy, basically. Yes. You're, you're yes. constantly going up. Yeah, yes. yeah. So the, be the belief basically is to end up getting merged with that one God, that creator, that universe whatever we, may call it, we want to call it. And these lifetimes are a journey towards that. So if you are able to achieve that God and you're, you're able to merge with that God within one lifetime, then you're not going to have the next lifetime. And till the time you achieve that, you're just going to get reincarnated. Excellent. And uh, do people go through, uh, I guess it depends on the um, uh, the experience and the type of person and, and where they're at, but um, do, do people go through multiple, multiple lives to uh, get through? Do many people make that jump in one or two lifetimes or is, is it for the most part, is it people, you know, multiple lives for them to uh, learn those different things? I don't anybody know personally by myself, but I know somebody who knew the other person. So uh, this other person that I um, heard about was somebody who was able to make it uh, while he was still living. And okay. so he did say that he could remember from his previous lifetimes and because he reached that stage where he could remember things from his previous lifetimes. Yeah. And now he, he, he was sure that he's achieved stage yeah. which was meant for him and he's not going to be getting reborn again yes okay interesting excellent i thought it might be a bit like that but uh, no that's, that's really interesting thank you appreciate you're it. welcome you're welcome i haven't studied a lot about sikhism but from what i understand is sikhism guru nanak came from the hindu background is that correct yes that's correct yeah yeah so and i have I have studied a lot about Hinduism, and most of the things that I understand were, okay, the, the things at least that I comprehend so far about reincarnation and karma have all come from the Hindu perspective, and it all deeply resonates with me in a powerful way, especially from my biblical Christianity background. I have found that it seems to fit perfectly with what I have read in scriptures using the filter of if this is true how do i see the scriptures that i've read in an entirely different way and so for example yogananda wrote a commentary called the second coming of christ the resurrection of christ within you a revelatory commentary on the original teachings of jesus and what paramahansa yogananda says is that Jesus came to him and helped him understand what he truly meant in these different various teachings that are recorded of his. Of course, one of the scriptures that was pointed out was where I think it was the disciples had asked, you know, I thought prophets say that Elijah will come back and this will happen before such and such. And Jesus responds something to the nature of, 
I tell you the truth that Elijah has returned and the rulers of the land did with them what they pleased. And and then right after that, there's this little little commentary that says, and the disciples knew immediately that he was referring to John the Baptist. I'm not going to do this any justice because what I'm telling you now, I read and studied three years ago. But my best recollection is to say that Yogananda seems to suggest he speaks very highly about the relationship between a guru and a devotee, and that is is the highest relationship held in the most respect, which even you could have heard that in Darshpreet's communication just a few moments ago. So now, again, whether or not this is true, I'm only expressing what I've been exposed to and, and stuff like this, but the idea was that Elijah and Elisha Elijah was a prophet of God, and he was the guru of Elisha. And what I remember is that before Elijah ascended, he did not die from what I recall, he he ascended, and before he did, he wanted to bestow a blessing upon Elisha. And Elijah asked for a double blessing, a, a, a double portion of the blessing. And, and so Elijah with love and such compassion for his devotee, gave him that. Then, of course, Elisha passes on. Soul of Elijah and Elisha continue on. But then, what if all of a sudden we think about reincarnation? And, and, and I'm just saying, what if? That's all I'm saying is what if. What if Elisha, the devotee of Elijah, was Jesus? And what if Elijah, the guru, was John the Baptist? And then they journey through the spiritual realms before they decide to come back in for a very specific period of time to do a very specific work to bring Christ consciousness back into humanity. What if, is all I'm saying. And then all of a sudden... You get Zechariah, who is the father of, I think it's Zechariah, who's the father of John the Baptist. An angel comes and says, this child's going to be very special, and this is what you're going to do, blah, blah, blah. And then a, 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 an angel comes to Mary and says, behold, you're going to bear this child, and he will be the savior of the world. And an angel comes to Joseph and says, hey, <laughs> she's not been sleeping around. This is, this is what's going on here. And then, so again, what, what if all of this, right? Then... All of a sudden, if you were to just accept that that might even be remotely possible, it makes a lot of sense when you hear when Mary went to visit Elizabeth for the first time when they were both pregnant. And as they got into close proximity, do you remember what happened? If you know the story, and the story is is that both babies, infants in the womb, leapt for joy in the presence of one another. And it's like, why is that recorded? Why is that recorded? And and if so, why would these two children inside these wombs who have not entered into the physical realm outside of the womb yet, they knew each other. They already knew one another. And they were excited about the work for which they are coming to the world to do together. And and again, I'm not saying that I'm right, but I'm like, this is how I'm starting to think about this. And then, of course, you do have 
that dialogue where I tell you the truth that Elijah has come and they did with him. And of course, you know, we know what happened with John the Baptist. If you've read the Bible, you know that he was he was brutally murdered. His head was cut off. And so what happened was was Jesus is saying that that I tell you that was my guru. Why why would Jesus now go and be baptized by John the Baptist? Because of the respect for his guru. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is start. Oh, no way. And then, of course, we talk about the transfiguration and who appeared in the transfiguration up on the mountain. It was Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. Anyway, all of that to say that I'm really fascinated by just that commentary from Yogananda on the idea of reincarnation and the idea of souls coming back and and the relationships between guru and disciple. And anyway, I, I, I don't know if that resonated with anybody, but I felt led to share. Any any thoughts from anybody on that? That's really interesting. Yeah, I'd never heard that. Um, you're right. There, there are those uh, interactions at different points, uh, three, three different points, and then the transfiguration as well. But uh, very interesting. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't heard that, um, but I, I was I was wondering where you were going to go when you started, uh, you know, sort of uh, saying, well, you know, let's let's look at the um, the biblical text, and um, you know, yeah, we we can see it in that. I'm thinking, hmm, you're going to be hard pressed to prove it out of that because uh, I I was never brought up with the, any kind of theory that that was that was part of it. You know, it was kind of bottom till you drop life. You know, and and then you do hell, of course, uh, if if you're not <laughs> careful, or you do heaven if you are equally uncareful because who can guarantee either and that's very final so um i i would think most christians aren't living with any kind of knowledge or understanding of the possibility of of multiple lives but i i think that was a very interesting point you made and thinking but, oh let, maybe yeah that's good it's let good. me let me throw one more in there michael so, yeah. so knowing that you have studied the scripture, or at least have been influenced by it as, at some level, I'm sure you remember a scripture that says, at the measure of judgment that you judge another, you shall be judged. Yes. Now, yes. when I read that prior to the possibility of reincarnation and the understanding of karma, I thought that, well, wait a second. Well, however I judge another person in this world, when the day of judgment, once I die and stand before God, I will be judged at that level. But that doesn't jive with Jesus washing away all of my sins, where my, my sins are removed from me as far as the east as the west meaning that they're they're not even in the recollection of god god does not god sees me as pure and holy but the bible still says that if you judge another the measure of judgment that you give to another will be given at that measure you will be judged mm. and again i'm not saying i'm right i'm just saying yeah. what if Let's just say I'm a religious zealot, and and I'm one who believes that everything that I believe is absolutely right. And if I believe that what you're doing is witchcraft, and I want to burn you at the stake, and I choose to do so, and I literally light the fire pile and watch the flesh melt from your body, karma says that that judgment will be judged back to me. And so, therefore... If I go through my life with that vibration of judgment, 
then I will likely come back into the world in a vibration that will put me in a position to be brutally murdered in a similar fashion. Yeah. God. I better not kick the cat ever again. <laughs> Man alive. Yeah. Bad thing. I don't have a cat actually, but uh, no. Anyway, probably just as well, really. Yeah, so, that's really interesting. It's it's all about the filter, isn't it? That you put over these things, and um, you know, so much, so much stuff. I, I guess that's part of the line on line precept on precept thing, which is Isaiah. I look, looks it up. You learn different things as you learn more things. You apply the, you know, the, the filter, the lens to the stuff that you knew before and you build on what you knew before and um yeah very interesting okay i'm, I'm gonna have a think about that interesting awesome i love it <laughs> what do you think bethany did you did you um, have you had any experiences of uh, other lives and things like that or is it just something that you uh, sort of began to read about it obviously made a big difference to you in church and you said you sat there thinking about this book in church which <laughs> I, I'm glad Jesus didn't know your thoughts because mm, that might have been a problem. Well, um, so I'm. I also have a question <laughs> for Darshpreet, and um, it really, I feel like you were going on the same line of thinking that I was, Cliff. I will circle back to that. And yes, I have had remembrances of, of past lives. It's funny that after I'd read that book, I was very interested to do a past life regression session and I I did one and it was very early after right after I'd read about that book I found someone that conducted these sessions I went and had a session and I had not explored meditation at all and I was at a place where it was very difficult for me to go in go into hypnosis and it was, I just kept falling asleep over and over again. And I think I was there for about four hours, but finally got to a point where I had an experience with of a woman in this, in this life. And maybe a hundred years ago, maybe 150, it was, it's difficult to say exactly, but in the life, I was a woman who had lost, I'd lost my child. I'd lost my husband and they had, had both passed away tragically. It was this just incredible sense of loss <clears throat> that I experienced and the emotions were very heavy and it was a matter of, was I going to, to kill myself? Was I going to choose to end that? And my big takeaway from the experience was that this is something that I have battled in past lives of when I was in extremely difficult circumstances and situations that I chose to, to end my life rather than continuing to live in the pain. And I was at this crossroads in my, in my current life where I was wondering, you know, what's the point? Why am I continuing to be here? And graveling, trying to find my purpose and to continue to go on. And the lesson that I learned was that I just needed to push through. I needed to push through. I needed to not give up. It was a message that I, I really needed to hear. And I had a lot of doubts about it. Am I just making this up? D am I just looking for parallels and trying to understand it? I really left the session feeling unsatisfied because I wasn't able to stay awake for most of it. And I was only really able to experience this one life. And instead of having this really cool experience I would have liked to have had where I got to have see numerous past lives <laughs> and 
So I left feeling unsatisfied. But it, what I've learned since then is that past lives are revealed to you when it's beneficial for you as a per- for you as a person. I've experienced past lives when there was a lesson from that life that I needed to understand that would help me in my current life. And I've seen it play out over and over again. And I now appreciate that session, that very first session I had, where I just feel like I was really just kind of in the dark looking for the light switch, trying to figure this out, trying to understand it. And I appreciate now that that was the message that I needed to receive at that time. It was helpful to me. I have a question, Bethany. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think past lives unless and until you're ready for it, it's going to be a little difficult to manage all of that information unless and until you feel ready to take that all of that things, all of those things in and learn from it rather than attaching with all of that information that is going to overflow into this lifetime. Is that correct? I really resonate with that. Yes, absolutely. And that's where the, I go back to, I've learned about or had remembrances of past lives when there was a lesson, something I could take back from that to help me in my life now and what I'm learning, how I'm experiencing. And as I've progressed within my awareness, I can experience a range of emotions in response to these experiences. It's not that I've only experienced as lives where I've had difficult lessons to learn. I've also experienced lives where there was joy. There was so much love to experience. And it's helped me to, again, have a, have a fuller understanding of how is my soul expressing itself. Right. And Cliff, when, when you were talking about judgment, and I think um, God doesn't judge us. Uh, that's, that's my belief, because... Even a person who, who does the most hideous crimes, the sun still shines on this person the same as it would on the saint. And the rain would still fall on this person as it would fall on the saint. The person will still be able to digest the food if the body is functioning normally. And all of the other things that nature provides will be provided to this person, regardless of what this person has done in the life. So my belief is that the judgment thing comes from our habit of judging others that we are so deeply engraved in that loop of judging others that we are not even able to take ourselves out of that loop. And we end up judging ourselves for what we've done rather than God judging us for things. I would love to respond to that. I, I'm in full agreement with you. I, and I'm not saying that what I'm say, what I believe and what you believe is true, but I'm I'm in full agreement with you, Darshpreet. So here's here's my feeling about this. First of all, I don't believe that God judges any of us. I've, I matter of fact, I believe that the soul level at our true essence of identity, we are one with God, meaning we are of God, and so we are His conscious awareness, having this experience of the the cosmic drama or the cosmic play, Maya, illusion, uh, whatever you want to call this world we live in. But I I do believe that when God created the, the, the realms, the causal realm, the astral realm, and the uh, material realm, 
when he created through this through the vibratory forces of of his energy, the Holy Spirit, maybe, I do believe that he also brought through the intelligence of which is Christ consciousness, cosmic consciousness, um, that he created this intelligence. And then what happened was down in the material realm, for us to be able to have the experience of humanity to love and and be loved and receive love and to uh, explore all of the things that free will offers us, then there had to be some ignorance of our divinity. We had to we had to forget that we are divine spiritual beings. And there is, I believe, a couple of laws that are in in force here. The law of vibration of frequency. There's the law of attraction. And and then there's I, I, I guess maybe the law of karma. I don't know if I, I if, if I've ever actually heard it referred to as the law of karma, but karma as well. And so in 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 this can kind of be wrapped up in how you described. You know, if, if when whenever we leave the physical form, our consciousness overall is is the accumulation of the frequencies and the vibrations of what we have attained at at this level. So therefore and and of course the law of attraction says that one f- frequency or vibration attracts like it attracts a vibration of likeness. And so the the whole idea of judgment in and this idea that as I judge others so I will be judged. It's not by God. It's just by the law of karma or law of attraction. If I have the vibration of resentment, hatred, and judgment, and I wish ev- like wish death upon you, that is a vibration. And I am going to attract likeness to that vibration to me. That is the karma that comes back. And and such as you know good things. It, it man, if I if I see you and 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 you confront me and you're so different than what I have ever been taught to think and believe, but all of a sudden I have an open mind and I say, listen, I don't know that I agree with you, and I've been taught that what you're saying is wrong and evil and stuff like this, but I'm willing to accept that I may be, I may have been deceived. I may not understand what truth is, and I don't agree with you, but I don't judge you. I love you unconditionally, and regardless of what you're saying to me and how you're treating me, I forgive you. Then all of a sudden, that's that's a different vibration, and it's and if and we're not going to get to the levels of consciousness today, but it's a much higher frequency, a much higher vibration, and so therefore that is good karma. We call it good, we call it bad, but anyway, it's just karma, and it's just attraction of likeness. I don't think that it's God, you know, I don't think there's this God on the throne that's judging this person, that person. It's like, well, you're going to the bad part of hell. You're going to the good part of, I'm sorry, good part of heaven, the bad part of heaven, uh, and, and all this other stuff, and you're going to go here. No, it's just, it is before the formation of the world in any material way or anything, this is how it was all, this is how this if I, if I may say, simulation, this computer game, was programmed. This is what's going to, if this, then that statements. And, and we're living in that. And, but, there, but there are escape clauses. There, there, we, we can at any instance, if we are at a vibrational level that will allow us, we can 
choose to remember our oneness with God. There are, there are opportunities for each of us to find that realization, regardless of how many past lives we've done this or that and whatever. And, and that is that Christ consciousness. It, it, but, it, but to be able to be able to break free from the, the cycle of karma, actions, you know, our desires or whatever, our vibrational frequencies that keep us here in the lower consciousness, to break free from that, we have the nobody comes to the Father or nobody comes to the source, nobody comes to the Creator except through me. And that's not Jesus was speaking as Christ consciousness in my beliefs. And so, it, so that's how that's how we receive salvation or realization or liberation is through through the Christ consciousness, reconnecting to the awareness of our oneness with the Father, which is what Jesus prayed before he died when he was in the garden. He says, Father, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. And I and, and I don't think it was I pray that they will become one. I I pray that they will be. I just pray that they will be their true authentic self. And back in Psalms 82, 6 and 7, I think it was, it says, Jesus, when he was confronted and says, who are you to blaspheme and to say that I am, that you are uh, the son of God? And he says, doesn't it say in your own scriptures, Psalms 82, I think it's verses 6 and 7, um, that doesn't it say in your own scriptures, which cannot be thrown out by your own statements, doesn't it say that we are all sons of God? And, and go look it up. It, it, it's there, I promise. And that's what Jesus came to tell us, is that we, are, we all came from the source and we can leave the cycle of karma, we can leave the cycle of judgment. And that was the good news. That was the good news. It's judge not lest you be judged. You know, just stop judging and you will stop being judged. It's that simple. That's so much in sync with Sikhism. It's like there are laws, there are, the way you said, laws of attraction and the law of frequency. So if one understands these laws and how do they work and navigate through life according to that, the results are going to be pretty predictable because the laws are meant for predictability. And if we understand them, we know what's going to happen eventually. It's like a fish can stay in the water and go wherever it has to, and sometimes, as you say, you know, there are ways to break out or, or break out of the shell and, you know, go beyond what you're meant to be um, by following, again, certain laws. But until then, you're just playing that game within that water. If we are thinking that we can judge others and we can escape <laughs> what the laws, uh, you know, the law of attraction applies on us, it's, 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 we're we probably just not aware about it then in that case, in that situation. So, these laws, I, I, tr- I believe that these laws truly exist, and I have at least in my life seen the results based on how I changed my life and how the results eventually changed. So I believe consciously or unconsciously, I ended up playing by these laws in a way that it was favorable for me and everybody around me as well. That's what the judgment comes from as well, you know, uh, based on how we live our life is how what we really get. So God being not non-judgmental at the same time we've been blessed with the wisdom and knowledge and all these scriptures that you should not be attached to anybody and still if we end up attaching ourselves to somebody 
and this other person ends up choosing a different way in life and it hurts us and if we're blaming god for that why are you hurting me i think that's such a wrong statement because it's not that god is hurting us or punishing us in any way it's just that we did not we failed to understand the laws of life and the laws of non-attachment the benefits of non-attachment and the cons of attachment and we just felt that okay if we're still attaching ourselves to somebody and we can escape what comes after that then it's our immaturity and our lack of understanding of the entire law so if we understand what these laws are what the law what the law of lust says what the law of attachment what the law of ego says what the law of greed says and we navigate our life by while keeping these laws in mind the end result is going to be pretty predictable which is very fruitful at the same time and if we don't really follow these laws and we live our life in a chaotic manner the results are again predictable so i'm i'm in complete sync with that cliff Yeah, and one of the things that we'll get to in a future session of our EOTC Mystery School is levels of consciousness and we'll talk about our own personal levels of consciousness and then I think we'll get into what's I think things sometimes called universal consciousness or collective consciousness and all these other and then then cosmic consciousness and Christ consciousness. Anyway, I'm excited to talk about some of those and how that plays into the discussion of of where we've kind of landed here at the end of this session together. Well, there you go. That is the end of that particular session of the brand new EOTC Encouraging Others Through Christ Mystery School. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you would like to participate as far as live audience as we're going live in future sessions hosted just like this, You can join the EOTC Mystery School on Clubhouse. Just look for me. I'm Cliff EOTC on Clubhouse. That's Cliff EOTC, stands for Cliff Encouraging Others Through Christ. Once you find my profile, scroll down to where it shows the list of clubs, and you're going to see the Free the Dream Club and the EOTC Mystery School Club. And I encourage you to join both of those. Go ahead and become a member. And that way you'll get notified when we have new rooms that go live and get scheduled. And there are many more conversations like this that are to be had. <laughs> and I've got I've already got an, an incredible lineup of panelists for future discussions, future topics. It's going to be incredible. And I hope that this conversation has opened your mind to new possibilities that may have been previously not open to you. And I just want to say one more thing here at the very end. Nothing that I am sharing in this particular piece of content or this particular podcast, I do not claim that anything I or anyone else in these conversations have said is absolute truth, that we are right For me personally, I can only say that I've only shared the things that I am currently experiencing, the things that I currently believe, and that is what this is all about. And so with all of that being said, if if some of this stuff is too much for you to take, no judgment whatsoever, I understand, but I, I do want to let you know that I am not claiming 
that you should adopt anything that I or anyone else on the stage is saying. But I, I think it's incredibly valuable. And I, I so wish from the time I was a child, I would have been at least exposed to conversations such as what you've heard here today. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, I encourage you to take everything you do to the next level. Mindset and Samantha.